Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay, and we're in a series called A Man After God's Own Heart on the life of King David from the Old Testament. God called him a man after his own heart, but we see that he was far from perfect. What was it about this man that God liked so much? This series looks at David's environment, his experiences, and his responses to try to discover how we can live a life that brings delight to God's heart. All right, well, let's jump in uh, with 2 Samuel 9 and the story of Mephibosheth. The story of Mephibosheth, uh, one of the harder names in the Bible. It doesn't just roll off your tongue. Your tongue just sort of trips on it. And, uh, and you were wondering, did I just say something bad, you know? So anyway, uh, 2 Samuel 9, we're going to start in verse 1. And David said, this is King David, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Aren't you glad you don't have to read this? Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. So he, he was able to say it. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore you to all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Well, we'll stop there. Let me, let, let's just work, work our way through there. There are a number of names mentioned there, and I just don't want you to get any more confused than you already are. So here we've got the names here. Saul was the first king of Israel. David then followed him, was the greatest king, and Saul had a son named Jonathan. I know this is a repeat for most of you, but Saul had a son named Jonathan, and they were very good friends and had made a covenant of friendship and mutual support. And on Mount Gilboa, these two guys died, Saul and Jonathan, so David's the king. What we just read, David is asking, is there anyone left of descendant of Jonathan that I can show kindness to? Now that should that surprised most people because normally if you looked for the descendants of the previous king, it was just to wipe them out, just to make sure that what, what could happen is uh, another faction could arise and say, well, we've got our own candidate for the office of president, and we're going to put him forward. So you want to try to wipe out any potential candidates since they had to be relatives. It was a small group of people. It wasn't just anybody. It had to be a relative. So, so Mephibosheth is actually hiding. He's over on the other side of the Jordan. And a place called Lodabar means uh, no pasture. I mean, it was a, sort of a dry area. 
So he was out with uh, basically somebody who'd been sort of a supporter of the, of the Saul side of the political question. And so they find him, uh, David brings him. He's probably a bit nervous because the normal custom is, like I said, you, you wipe out all rivals. So he's not coming thinking, oh, I wonder what I won. Uh, he's thinking, uh, uh, rats, they found me, you know. So he comes, turns out he's, it says, makes the point he's uh, lame in both feet. Earlier in the book of 2 Samuel, he, when these two guys were killed, Mephibosheth was just five years old at that point. His nurse or nursemaid picks him up, runs out, trips or something, drops him. Somehow he's lame in both feet. It does make me wonder. I mean, almost everybody's dropped somebody, and normally nobody's lame in either, even one foot. I mean, they might be banged up a bit, but, you know, might sprain it. But that Mephibosheth ends up lame in both feet, it makes me wonder, did she throw him over the wall? I mean, like, <laughs> anyway, so he's lame, and it finishes the chapter saying, and he had a son, Micah. The reason that's important is that means Mephibosheth really was a threat to David in some sense, because he, there were, this was a family line that could have been problematic. But David proceeds anyway and uh, chooses to show kindness to Mephibosheth and gives him a seat at his table. Ziba's just the servant that makes the connection. And are there any questions so far? Yes, is he the son of uh, Saul or the son of Jonathan? So uh, Mephibosheth is Saul's grandson. Okay, so he's Jonathan's son. Yeah, and so by this time, they're assuming that Mephibosheth is about 20 years old because he's got a son. So he's not, he's not six years old. So this has been a while. David's been on the throne a while. And it makes you wonder, wonder why David now thinks, hey, is there anybody, you know, it's been 10 years. But anyway, we don't, we can't get all of the answers. So I want to highlight four primary thoughts from this story. It's a wonderful story. It's, it's a story of, of David being kind and, you know, what's not to like about that. But first, one of the first thing I want you to notice here is I want you to notice the mess. So here we have uh, Mephibosheth, who, when he was just five years old, and just a sweet little guy, I mean, you just, everybody loved watching him run around, and he was kind of happy and everything, and playing with his siblings, and, and then he has this terrible thing, there's the war, his grandfather is killed, and, and his father, they all die on the same day, that's pretty traumatic, but then on top of that, he has something happened to him where he's hurt for the rest of his life. He's lame for the rest of his life. He was dropped by someone who should have cared for him. Someone who was responsible to take care of him dropped him, and he never got over it. And the point I want to draw out in this is all of us have been dropped in some way. It could have been by one of your parents, that they were to care for you, and in some ways, no parent is perfect. In some ways, they might have let you down. It might not have been a parent. It might have been an uncle or an aunt. It might have been a teacher. We read about the uh, sex abuse in, the, in some of the dioceses, and here, was, here were priests that were charged with the well-being of their flock, and now there are hundreds of them accused of abusing that privilege. They dropped those little boys and girls. And you might be still in your heart a little boy or a little girl who was dropped. You still feel the effects of the way some people failed you that were responsible for your care. 
Some people feel like their country dropped them. My father really felt uh, in the Korean War that the United States government had betrayed him. He carried that the rest of his life, feeling like here we were, we were ready to, to win that battle and they wouldn't let us. I'm not going to get into the politics of that, but it deeply, deeply wounded him what happened to him. You might have been dropped by a business partner, somebody that had made those promises, y'all had agreed on something together, then they reneged, they let you down, and it really made a difference. It might be by a spouse you had. It might be that you dropped yourself. You had an abortion. You crossed a line morally. You did something, that, but that's still, that sh the shame of that still affects you. We have all been dropped because we live in a fallen world. You have things that affect you now that may be no fault of your own. And you have to live with that. Mephibosheth had to live with this. He wasn't just, didn't just have a bad memory and a sad memory. He had a present, ongoing infirmity because someone else let him down. And he could have let that define him. He could have let that define him. In fact, his name, Mephibosheth, the word Bosheth, the part Bosheth in his name means shame. So, I mean, there was a certain amount of shame that carried him around. And now he's thinking, on top of that, the new king's probably going to want to kill me. I mean, it's like everything's bad. And yet we, here we have a situation where this poor little guy who has basically no future, its present isn't going that well, he's got a sad past, and David says, I want to show you the kindness of God. You are never at the place where God is not ready to show you his kindness. He's not done. And you don't have to let the, the mess that's happened in your life define you. God, he wants to invite you to the table. He wants you to be seated. You know, the thing about Mephibosheth sitting at the king's table, you couldn't see his feet. God is going to hide your shame. He's going to hide that part of you that you're most embarrassed about. He says, we're, we're going to get past that. Don't, don't worry about that. When you're seated at the table, nobody's even going to know. You just enjoy the meal. Enjoy the fellowship. We see the mess, but we don't have to be defined by the mess. Secondly, we see the message. Look at what David says in verse 1. Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? And those last three words, for Jonathan's sake. He didn't say, well, let's bring somebody in and then see if they're worthy, and then I'll do something for him. He says, he says, I don't need to know if they're worthy. Jonathan is worthy. He says, I'm going to do it for Jonathan's sake. Yeah, but uh, he's, he's too tall. He's too short. He's too fat. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm doing it for Jonathan's sake. I'm doing it for Jonathan's sake. You know, when we talk about the message of the gospel, Christianity is not built around good intentions or being nice people, helping the poor, fighting for justice. All those things are fine. But Christianity is built around what's called the gospel. And the gospel is our term for a message. Good news, it's a message. It's, it's a something that's very, very specific. And it's amazing how you could go from church to church and talk person to person of people that have been in a Christian church their whole life, and they still don't have clear what is the message. Uh, I'll just give you a little project if you're the curious type. 
and you just ask 10 people that attend church regularly and have for years and say, what is the basic message of Christianity? And just tell them I told you to ask them so they'll, they won't think it's, they won't blame you. I said, it's just kind of a little parlor game. Let's just do this. You won't find usually one or two out of 10 that don't just look at you like a deer in the headlights, like, well, I don't know. I mean, like, you've been in this thing your whole life and you can't answer that question? That is the most basic question. And the question is answered in just those three words, for Jonathan's sake. Jonathan was the son of the king, and David had a covenant with him. And he says, I must honor my covenant. Almighty God made a covenant with the son, Jesus Christ. And now God comes to you and he says, I want to extend kindness to you. I want to extend grace and forgiveness to you. Not because I've decided you're such a great person and I just think you're wonderful. And you're a snowflake and, you know, you I want to extend kindness and forgiveness and everlasting life to you for Jesus' sake. For the sake of the Son. I have made a covenant, an eternal covenant with the Son. And so you don't have to be good enough. You can't be good enough. He extends grace to you and to me for the sake of the Son. For the sake of Jesus. Is Jesus good enough? You bet he is. Will he always be good enough? Yep. That makes your salvation secure. How do you enter into that? Just like Mephibosheth. Say, thanks. <laughs> I, I just, it's a gift I receive. It's for Jesus' sake. It's for his sake. That's the message. It's not that I'm good enough, strong enough. I'm, I'm lame like Mephibosheth. I'm ashamed like Mephibosheth. I've been dropped like Mephibosheth. It doesn't matter. It's for Jesus' sake. You're safe, you're secure, but don't ever think you can do it on your own, that you could ever be good enough. I asked a lady in Argentina, we'd bought the house from them, went by their house, she'd been sick for a while, and I'd gone by to visit them, and I said, well, you know, if you, if you had died at that point, are you sure you would have gone to heaven? And she said, oh, yes. I said, wonderful. I said, now, what would you have said if God asked you, why should I let you in? She said, well, I've worked really hard uh, as a school teacher, educating the nation of Argentina. And she went on to kind of give me some of the reasons why she thought the door of heaven would be open to her. And I thought to myself as she said it, oh, boy. Are we going to get into this or not? You know, her husband's sitting right there. She's almost just died. I thought, well, not really very. Uh, but I said, well, that's wonderful. I said, did you know that the Bible teaches that if a person answers the question that way, it's almost for sure they're not going to heaven? You could have heard a pin drop. And I said, would you like to see what the Bible says about that? So they got their Catholic Bible. We opened it up. We went through the gospel of Christ, drew out the bridge illustration, and they both prayed right there to ask Christ to come into their life to receive forgiveness of sins for Jesus' sake. And afterwards, the husband said, menos mal, which is the Spanish way of saying, it's a good thing you came by today. He says, all my life I thought it was you had to be good enough. Menos mal, it's a good thing you came by. That's the message. We have a message that it's for Jesus' sake. The third thing I want to just take a look at is the attitude. The attitude that Mephibosheth has in verse 8. 
when David says all these things, what he's going to do for him, Mephibosheth says, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? I got a feeling dogs weren't held in as high esteem then, you know. But frankly, even in a country that loves dogs, dead dogs aren't a high premium, you know. I mean, it's like you, you're not just going to have one on your dining room table as a decoration, you know, dead, rotting dog. You know, you'd put flowers there or a nice bowl, vase, you know. But just imagine a, a whole dead dog lying on your dining room table week after week. You just, you just, even if you love dogs, you just wouldn't do that. And we see, and one of the reasons why dogs weren't held in high esteem was in a country like that, of course, they, back then they didn't sell dog food. So, I mean, dogs would eat whatever people wouldn't eat. So they'd, they'd eat whatever was thrown out, the garbage, the carcasses, dead bodies. They probably usually weren't uh, kept as pets. So it was more like m mongrels. I was trying to think, what would be a, an equivalent of a low level of value to us? And I thought, well, maybe a dead possum, maybe a roadkill possum, you know? But you just never think, uh, well, it's Bill's birthday's coming up, and what, what could I get him? How about a dead possum that's been run over by a semi? I'm just going to wrap it up and put a bow on it. It's like of so little value. And Mephibosheth is, is basically saying here, that attitude of humility, why would you be kind to me? I'm just an old dead possum. I mean, why would you care about me? I can't do anything for you. I can't even help you because I can't even walk. I'm just dead weight. And if anything, I'm a potential problem. Why would you be kind to me? And I think that when we talk about the mess we've been in, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, that God has showed us kindness for Jesus' sake, these last two of attitude and action, this is the kind of response that thrills the heart of God. Not that we're supposed to go around beating ourselves up, but that we would have the attitude, I don't deserve anything. The only thing I deserved today was to wake up in hell. And I ought to be so excited that, hey, <laughs> I'm still here. This is fantastic, you know. I mean, everything else might be bad, but it could be a whole lot worse if I got what I deserved. And he says, I'm just, I'm just a dead dog. You know, if Mephibosheth could have said, hey, I am the grandson of the person who is really the king, and now you've just kind of stepped in there. I mean, I didn't, who, who is your dad, you know? My dad was the was the Prince of Wales. And, uh, you know, I, I, I spit on these. I'm insulted by what you're doing for me. I don't just want a place at your table. I want the crown on your head. Who do you think you are, David? He says, I'm just a dead dog. He was humble. Do you realize that one of the things that can change just about everything in your whole life is growing in humility? Most of the times that we get ourselves in trouble, it's because we have lost touch with who we really are, what we really deserve. I'm not some big deal. I don't need to be getting all offended. I don't, I, I'm not anyone to hold a, a, a bitterness or a grudge. I'm just a dead roadkill possum. God has had mercy on me for Jesus' sake. 
That gives you a strength and an ability to forgive, to love, to serve, to forget about yourself. You know, humility isn't thinking lowly of yourself. Oh, I'm just dirt on the street. It's not thinking so much about yourself. You can think about others. And that brings us to our last point, the action. Because God has shown us kindness. You know that word kindness? It's the Hebrew word chesed, which when it says uh, in Lamentations 3, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. How does it go? You're saying it, I can tell. The Lord's loving kindness never ceases, never ends. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Okay, we sing that, remember? The chesed and amuna, his, his loving kindness and his faithfulness. And the word chesed, it's kind of a hard word to even translate, but it's just God's niceness toward us. They, they do loving kindness, which is actually a fantastic word. You know, we don't really use that that much, but it's like, how can we, we can't find just one word. So why don't we scrunch two words together, just put it out there. It's like, yeah, well, I, I like that, loving kindness. And David is saying, how can I show, God has been so kind to me, so good to me. He says, how can I show that? to somebody else. And you know, what's left of our lives, and all of us are on a, on a path to eternity, we don't have that much time left. I don't care, you know, compared to God, who is, you know, all eternity, we're just, our lives are like that. And to have what time I have left, I want to have this attitude of gratitude, of humility toward God and toward people. But I want, also want to have the action, and I'm going to be asking the same question that David asked. Who can I show the kindness of God to? Who can I show? Not just who can I feel the kindness of God. Oh, yeah, I just love, you know. He says, show it. Do something. Act. Engage. Because as, as you've re as freely received to freely give, to think, Lord, who would you like me to show your kindness to? Now, David, when he first asked the question, he didn't know. He's just looking around. God is attracted to need. He's attracted to pain. He's attracted to sorrow. Because that's, well, obviously a wonderful opportunity, but it's also where the where the door is open to a human heart. When people are fine and everything's going well and they're just having a good time, well, they're, if they're not believers, it's probably not a time where they're very curious about eternal things. You know, they're just having a good time. You know, don't, don't, don't bother me. But it's when something breaks, someone dies, something has failed, and they're sitting there in the midst of the mess that that's when there's a chance for a message, or at least a, to show the kindness of God and to show up. Sometimes when people go through very, very difficult things, because we don't know quite what to do and what to say, and we've heard those stories about, well, they came and said this, and I didn't like that very much, so you think, well, I don't, don't really know. Well, what, what, what would I say that would be the right thing to say, and maybe I just won't say anything. And maybe I won't even go by. I'm sure other people are handling this. And I'll just pray for them at a distance. 
I've found that it's more important to take the risk of having done a little too much, said a little too much, been a little bit too present, than to stay away thinking, well, I don't know what's the best thing, and maybe I'm not the best person, and I don't know exactly what to do. Do something to show the kindness of God. Do it in a humble way. Do it in a kind way. But go, even if you can just go be with them. Some of you maybe have heard of the Christian counselor Larry Crabb, and I was at a seminar with him, and he said probably the most significant thing, quote, I've heard in 10 years as far as its impact on me. And now this is a Christian counselor saying this, so that really even says something interesting. He says, my goal is not to help you. I have no idea how to help you. I just want to be with you. And a lot of times showing the kindness of God is just showing up and admitting I, I don't, it, this is a mess. I can't heal your lameness. I can't catch you when you got dropped. It's already happened. There's a lot I can't do, but I just want to be with you. And let me know how I can help. But show up. Who can I show the kindness of God to? in response for all that God's done for me. Amazing. In some ways, all of us are Mephibosheth. You know, you read this story, you think, wow, that poor guy, I mean, good grief, uh, lame in both feet. Uh, It says at the end of the last verse, it says, so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, verse 13, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Now what David had said was, you're always invited. Well, Mephibosheth took him up on it. He moved to town. He said, I can't commute. This isn't going to work for me. You know, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, which was, it would have been like Charlotte. He says, well, I can't, I can't live up in Charlotte if I'm going to make it for lunch each day. So I'm going to move down to Columbia. And, uh, and it's like, I imagine David thought, wow, he really, he really took me seriously on this. I mean, he's there. There he is again, you know. Yep, yep. He, he rolls in there every day about a half hour early with his crutches and everything. He really knows I meant it. He lived in Jerusalem and ate at the king's table. And all of us are like Mephibosheth, that we've all been dropped. We've all had some things about our life that's a mess. There's some things that people have done to us that make us bitter and sad. There's some things that we've done to ourselves and we feel stupid and ashamed. And God says, it's okay. No, really. For Jesus' sake, it's okay. No, it's okay. He says, I have a plan that is so good for you to feel so loved if you'll just humble yourself and receive it and think, lucky me. Who has a God like I've got? And then to move out with what you've got and say, who can I show the kindness of God to? I'm just a dead dog. I'm possum roadkill. Doesn't matter. God, that doesn't seem to bother God. Then it doesn't bother me. I'm happy to be a dead possum. But I eat every day at the king's table. I've been accepted into his family. I've been washed clean. My shame has been taken away. And I will live forever in the house of the Lord. I think we need to pray. 
Heavenly Father, we're lame. In some ways, we're all crippled. And it's been a source of sadness, of frustration, of shame. Maybe it's not something that's that visible to other people. But in quieter moments, it's, we feel it. And we can't change it. But we thank you, Lord, that you see it all. And you're not at all deterred from saying, I want to show you the kindness of God for Jesus' sake. Lord, if there's someone today here who felt like their only hope of heaven was to be good enough, Lord, I pray that person today would give up on that plan. In fact, why don't you, in your heart, pray with me. And if it's your first time, that's fine. If it's your 50th time, just go over those truths again. Lord Jesus, I know that I have failed you and fail myself, and not live the life I should live. Right now, I ask you to forgive me for Jesus' sake, and come into my life and make me a new person, not because I deserve it, but for Jesus' sake. And Lord, thank you for each person here. Help us, Lord, to have a humble attitude. Help us to ask that question, who can I show the kindness of God to? Thank you, Lord, that Mephibosheth, even though he had died 3,000 years ago, that crippled little boy had a message for us. Help us to make the most of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.